how much is my work undermined or any therapist's work is undermined if they are constantly low level vibrating about their own bills. Yes. Right. That's not going to make my nervous system safe. Yeah. If I'm constantly like, oh God, I'm yeah. not going to. So if I can do something about that in my pricing and, and just be congruent because it's very consent based, right? Just to yeah. put yourself out there and say, this is what I do and this is how much I do it at. back to Money Making Women. This is a podcast for anyone who wants to make more money without leaving their integrity behind. I'm Ray Dodd, a money coach and mentor, and my favourite thing in the world is seeing people who have either underestimated themselves or have been underestimated by society make more money. Thanks for joining me. Let's get into it. Welcome to the podcast, Vicky. I'm so excited to have you here. Vicky is a counsellor with a focus on health at every size and intuitive eating. She is also the founder of A Modern Practice, which is an online community for therapists and helping professionals. I love Vicky's approach to so many things, and I'm really excited for us to get into her own money journey and the stickiness of making money when you're in a helping profession and much more, I'm sure. So do you want to tell us a bit about what you do and how you came to do it? Yeah, thank you. Yes, so I've been a counsellor for nearly uh, nearly 10 years. I started my training nearly 10 years ago and my focus pretty early on, the thing that I was really passionate about was working with women, working with marginalised people with a focus on trauma. And then that segued into health at every size, intuitive eating, disordered eating because there's so much overlap so those are the two Mm. main spheres of my work and then I set up my own private practice four years ago nice yeah how did that go initially like did it take off quite easily was it a sticky start Um, I think the main thing is I was brilliantly supported Mm. so I had my oldest friend in the world Elizabeth Barrett she did my branding for me and really helped me start to establish an identity Mm. you know she's very into like where is the identity in your branding let's not just make this another website that has like a forest glade or (laughs) or a stack of pebbles yeah because they are really useful but Mm. if they're not you then they're not gonna speak to your client and so she really she really let me know from the beginning you want to speak directly to your client which was really empowering so from the beginning, I feel like I had really good support and I had good therapeutic support. I had a really good mm. supervisor and mentor. And I think because I'd left it a little bit later, I had a really clear idea of what I wanted to do. Mm. The thing that has changed over the years is how much I free myself up to be very authentic. Yes. So being specific about being a feminist therapist, um, being specific about being health at every size, which comes with a kind of political aspect and a... Mm cultural aspect to it giving myself permission to speak out about those things and not be very very neutral because I think at the beginning I really tried to be more neutral and then I thought it's just not my therapy yeah and do you think that's changed because I first had therapy so I'm 38 I first Mm. had therapy when I was 23 so 15 Mm. years ago and then I had a long gap and then I've been having therapy for the last two years I think almost Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I feel like there has been a shift and whether it's just those two counsellors, everyone I know is having therapy and that's always been the case. Like my dad's got a, what's he got? 
a master's in social work and there were counseling components to that so he was always asking us reflective questions Mm -hmm. and stuff as kids so I feel like there's been a shift into therapists being more open about who they are do you think that's true yeah I think it probably is I mean the interesting thing is that I'm quite boundaried about my personal life for me clients don't need to know about really anything about my specific world but they do need to know about my worldview my positionality because that's my bias Mm. and if I don't own my bias I'm being disingenuous because of course Mm. I have one yeah so it's safest if I'm upfront about it and say look, this is my worldview. Is that going to align with yours? Because if it's not, I'm not the right person for you. And that's really okay. And I want to free you up to go and find the right person. Yeah. So I think that, you know, there are lots of people who don't do it that way. But for me, I've just found that I'm able to make real connection in that way. Yeah. Because working a lot with trauma sometimes, I think even online, because my practice is completely online now, it feels like two little nervous systems kind of reaching out to each other, little tendrils, just kind of testing each other out are you safe are you safe are you going to hurt me do you have edges that are going to wound me because I don't want to be wounded again there needs to be some honesty about that you need Mm. to have a sense of me of my spirit yeah to know if I'm safe or not for you specifically does that make sense it totally makes sense and I think something I've been thinking a lot actually recently in relation to size because I think that is still we're talking so much about privilege and bias Mm -hmm. and things and yet in people who I know are really acutely aware of it in so many aspects the size aspect the Mm -hmm. the internal fat phobia and that bias Mm -hmm. can still be so unchecked and so strong 100% 100% and I've had my own experiences of that Mm -hmm. as a fat woman Mm -hmm. who had therapy of my own you know it's a condition of my course that you had to have weekly therapy which is really the best bit about it because yeah you know, that's where the gold is. Previous to that as well, I'd had experiences of counselling and I came up against implicit fat phobia, explicit fat phobia. The memories of that are still really real to me of my own experience. I know from talking to my own clients and just from the feeling that I get from my sessions to sit with a fat woman who's okay with her fatness. In fact, it's benevolent. Yeah. My fatness. Yeah. I am benevolent to my fat body and Mm. I think for to sit with someone that's very safety making mm. and I think maybe it's also a modeling as well there's like a kind of I feel like as I'm getting older moving into a kind of fat elder position <laughs> that I'm really loving oh my god I want to talk about what that fat elder wears like Absolutely. it's flowing <laughs> say it's gotta be like a floaty big it's got sleeves yes (laughs) (laughs) absolutely it's so funny so many of my clients will sometimes do like future you visualization type stuff or just talk about like you know 10 years time what you're wearing everyone's always wearing something floaty and like amazing it's always big sleeves it's caftans yeah yeah yeah, absolutely (laughs) no it's lovely I had to do that once at counseling college you know we had to do our kind of Mm future elder self I think I don't think they called it elder I think and I put myself barefoot in a hut with water around and all of this and then I realized a couple of weeks ago I'm building a studio for myself at the bottom of the garden a little kind of wooden hut I don't want to wear shoes in there yes um and I swim all the time in the sea so I feel like I'm kind of 
actualizing that lovely oh which means a lot so yeah that's amazing I love that I've got Karen Arthur coming on the podcast soon like not not till the end of next month I don't know if you've come across her but she's all about wearing your happy and we're going to talk about um the difference what you wear can make to money making certainly in my experience there's a really strong connection there so I'm really excited to talk to her about it well what a thing to talk about with a fat woman Mm -hmm. because how does she get to express herself with clothes yeah because where are her blinking clothes yeah where are the clothes that are made for her size you know quite often you get that generic off the rack kind of look I don't want a peplum I've never (laughs) wanted to wear a peplum exactly if you're a peplum person but I want more options I think that's a really interesting thing about how maybe feeling ambitious successful powerful at ease in your body is denied to certain people because of lack of access, lack of money, yeah. lack of product. Yeah, I was on my stories a couple of days ago because I got these dresses from Olivia Rubin. So I don't I know saw. if you saw this. I did. If you listen back, it's not up there now, but if you, if anyone noticed, my voice is wobbling because I was so emotional about how amazing the dress was. It's so moving, isn't it? It's so, so amazing. amazing. Like, yeah, but I think what I'm seeing is a number of brands, I love that we've got onto this, a number of brands being more inclusive, but they're the more expensive brands because they're more aware of that stuff mm-hmm. and they have actually more agency to change things easily because mm-hmm. it's a smaller mm-hmm. operation. So those are the most expensive dresses I've ever bought in my life. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, how wonderful for you to be able to do that for yourself and for your body, because I am obsessed with the idea of ease at the moment, just Mm. absolutely obsessed with it. It's really my guiding word for my business and for my clients. Mm. It's what I want for them. It's what I want for myself. And I think clothes are a massive part of that. Like, do I literally feel at ease? How can I feel at ease if I'm constricted and restricted and things are tugging and they're too tight? They weren't designed for me. They're just scaled up yeah because it doesn't work like that yeah Um, yeah so all the backless dresses for the summer (laughs) my favorite yeah oh look oh that's got thick enough straps that I could wear it because just me these bad boys I'm talking about my boobs they cannot no they cannot be unleashed I know everyone's gone anti-bra in lockdown that's lovely I can't it's not nothing about how it looks is not comfortable for me to walk around like that well quite yeah it's a very different feel isn't it but yeah Um, no back no back on the dress come on no but yeah my friend Alex, he used to call it an H&M surprise, but I think now it's an ASOS surprise where you're like, oh, that's nice. Oh, there's an embroidered dragon on the back. Why is that there? <laughs> that's a really like noughties example. Okay, so changing the like chat slightly. Why do you think so many helping professionals struggle to charge or just struggle with their charging? I would say generally. And it's something I see a lot across the board in helping industries. And that's from Mm -hmm. like wellness industry, therapeutic Mm -hmm. industries, coaching, all sorts of spaces. Mm -hmm. Why do you think, I know that's a huge topic. Well, I have a really simple answer actually. Mm. And I think it's because we undervalue women's work. Mm. That's the answer. And the longer answer is, I think it's work traditionally done by women. I think it's work traditionally women's skill set by that I mean listening empathizing holding space yeah you know that elder idea yes of course there are male elders but my idea is very much of like walking in the footsteps of older female healers healing Mm -hmm. elders and non-binary queer and trans as well you know just people who understand what it's like to be marginalized yeah people who understand what it's like to be trauma who can tell us more about trauma people who've experienced it Mm. 
so why do I think that people in helping professions struggle with costing is because they don't think it's going to be valued and because they think that it undermines the care yeah. in their product or their offering their service because they think it's mercenary and that's something I talk about a lot this the way that money has become I could dress it up in different words but really it's traumas so mm-hmm. many different things and the way that charging low for so many of us is synonymous with kindness mm-hmm. I hear people saying a lot how do people put it they think of it as taking someone's money mm-hmm. so say you're a therapist someone reaches out to you and says I want to work with you and you say this is how much it costs and they're like great I can't wait to get moving on this stuff at what point have you taken their money like you know mm-hmm. what I mean like there's mm-hmm. nothing in that transaction it sounds like snatching I think when people talk about I've taken it yeah that's a really good point about the language about it I mean it's mm. a it's an exchange and I think you have to yeah. respect other people's autonomy mm. and their own authority in saying this is my money and this is how I choose to use it yeah absolutely. So it's really being respectful of what is their space and what is mine in a way mm. like not going over and trying to rescue them yes. this is where I am can you meet me there yeah yeah and I don't know if this is the right word but there's almost like a codependence in that sometimes I think of like I need you to think of me as kind in this and it's really hard I don't want to pretend it's easy because it's all our conditioning that conditioning doesn't go away when mm-hmm. we recognize it it's still being perpetuated everywhere so it's this mm-hmm. kind of tug isn't it like this push and pull of like I understand that's not true but everything around me says it is true and it's mm-hmm. really tricky but understanding that you are not what people see you as necessarily just because somebody has their own money stuff does yeah. not mean that's true about you by charging that yeah you know that rescuing thing can be really strong in helping professions where we have a vocation mm. but traditionally vocational work hasn't been financially remunerated we're supposed yeah. to get by on passion alone yeah but I think how much is my work undermined or any therapist's work is undermined if they are constantly low level vibrating about their own bills yes right that's not going to make my nervous system safe yeah if I'm constantly like oh god I'm yeah. not yeah. so if I can do something about that in my pricing and and just be congruent because it's very consent based right just to yeah. put yourself out there and say this is what I do and this is how much I do it at mm-hmm. and here's a picture of my face like those mm. are the things I want to see on a website I want to see how much mm-hmm. you charge and a picture of your face because then I start to get a sense of you and I'm also going to know from the get-go well can I even entertain this and then it's on me to work out if I can we have to think about accessibility and for some people it's not about mindset it's just about the facts like they don't have enough money absolutely and then what do we do Mm -hmm. and there's a responsibility in that but then that can be put out there as well you know I've always had a reduced rate for clients and I've always been trust based on if people ask to use it then they can use it yeah yeah absolutely I love that kind of trust-based aspect of that sort of setup I think is really important like we don't want people to have to like prove their their lack Uh like money like it's it's not a nice feeling no no way I used to say on my website have a limited number of reduced rate Mm. you know available or something like that I actually took that off just said my reduced rate is this yeah if you need it let me know yeah because I trust that I have priced myself suitably that's my business responsibility yeah I'm laying out what I can give and I'm not putting myself out by doing that yeah so that means I can offer it generously yeah and I don't have to put limitations on that yeah I also think one of the things I think about with coaching and therapy all sorts of different things is one of the things that I think is really important and I might do something on this at some point 
but it's getting more comfortable with our own money stuff because one of the things that can happen and totally accidentally is what about when a client needs to come to the end of their working relationship with Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. but you're undercharging everyone Mm -hmm. and so you're really going to notice when they leave you're going to be holding on to your clients a lot more I always say that my my business model is terrible because I'm really working to make myself redundant. Yes. And I say that to my clients all the time. Mm. The point of me is to make myself pointless. Yeah. I'm here to facilitate this part of your path. Yeah. And then we come to our ending together. And that's so consensual Mm. that we're like, right, we're going to come together. We're going to walk this bit of path and then we're going to stop walking together. because You have embodied and internalized all the work that we've done because it was always in you like yes it's very wizard of oz like (laughs) yeah and it's just my job to facilitate restoring your wisdom reconnecting with your strengths like everything that's inside of you getting things in conversation within you again Mm. the thing i always say to clients is this is woody allen thing i was gonna say for the record vicky pulled a face when she said woody allen she's not you know carry on (laughs) yeah you get that on the record someone said to Woody Allen oh you've been in therapy for years and years and years like decades you know how's it going and he answered slowly Mm. and everyone laughs and you know like he obviously thought he was being very clever another face but Mm. you know actually I just think maybe that means you don't have a very good therapist or that's a therapist (laughs) yeah that's a therapist who wants like a nice car at the end of it yeah I kind of do work with people for a couple of years sometimes mm. because healing takes time and trauma takes time I mean mm. and I, I feel so compassionate and holding and loving about that and at the same time this is your money your time your life we want to keep our work potent and tangible and meaningful to you useful mm. so that we know when it has ceased to be useful Mm. And then if I have priced myself well and I have protected my own financial stability, then I can just honestly say, yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now's the yeah, time to go. Yeah. And it's been such a treasure to work together. Yeah. It's becoming comfortable, I think, as well, with being like steps in people's processes, not being. Mm-hmm. And I think this probably happens more in the coaching industry where there's a lot of owning your clients' results, which mm. is something I'm not a fan of. But it's important that like sometimes we're a moment for people. Sometimes we're a big moment. Sometimes we're a really little one. And all of that's all right. And I think the more comfortable we get with the money stuff, the more we're going to free people up to do their things. And maybe you won't see the result of our work together until, you know, a couple of years time. I mean, some results are necessary now. You know, work with disordered eating a lot. We need to see some results now. We need to Mm. see you feeling um, comfortable and satisfied and healthful Um, and I mean that in a holistic understanding yeah we need that for you now Mm. but also it's not as fixed as having a set of results that we're going to tick yes it's it's a more embodied it's a more felt experience yeah we don't have a system in our culture that can measure that Mm. yeah absolutely you know we're not set up to honor that work we've spoken before about your kind of journey in terms of pricing and things like that and we've just touched on that was there anything that changed for you when it came to being able to charge these larger amounts? It really coincided with my own journey of feeling good about myself. Mm. So when I felt safe and secure in my body, when my body felt like home to me, when I was in conversation with my body and I wasn't just a floating head that was trying to get as far away from my fatness as possible, mm. when I just put everything together... Mm. then I could start listening to my intuition I could start listening to my instinct 
and I could trust, I could just trust that there was a place for me. Yes. That there was a space for me. And if I sat myself in my place where I was supposed to be mm. with my offering, with my training, with my price, that they were enough, that people would come to me and they'd find me and I would be okay for them. So, so it's about so, being okay for myself. First. I was going to say there's an element there of being like, being okay if someone says it's too expensive. And I, and I have to be, because yeah. there, I will be, because I know that therapy is expensive. Yeah. I charge £75 an hour. Yeah. For some people that is going to be too much and that's yeah. either going to be financially too much or it's going to be mentally too much or it's mm-hmm. going to be emotionally too much. You know, there's yeah. lots of ways that it could be too much. Yeah. And I just have to be okay with like, okay, this is where I'm at. You can have my reduced rate. You know, if that doesn't work for you either, I have to sit with the discomfort of not being for everyone. Yeah. Because then I can specifically be right for the people I'm supposed to be for. Yeah. And, you know, it's and no- I can find other ways of giving. Yeah. Yeah. Because earning money means that I have time to volunteer and it means I have time to offer in, in other capacities. Mm. Yeah. So it, I have to trust that it balances out and that I am doing good in other ways too. Yeah. And it's that real sense of not outsourcing that kind of comfort to other people which is obviously not a safe thing for many of us to do yeah absolutely and if you're a woman particularly if you're a woman who has an experience of dieting mm. you have outsourced all of your wisdom and your intuition a diet yeah. book has told you when to eat what to eat how to eat how much to eat don't eat more than seven almonds at a time like blah blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> oh god almonds almonds oh my god um <laughs> of course you're going to have less access to your mm-hmm. wisdom and your power you know if you're not okay with yourself and you're not rooted in okayness yeah of course that's going to be much harder to put yourself out there because you're going to do it with an apology yeah you're gonna be like yeah. oh, i'm really sorry i tried you know pay this amount well actually there is something really bold and radical in just saying i charge this amount yeah absolutely oh my god i love that so much mm-hmm. so good mm-hmm. i need to model honoring this work Mm. it's something I talk about a lot with people who who make stuff but more in the craft sphere Mm -hmm. the art sphere because there's a real difference between what is acceptable to charge in the art space which is a much more traditionally Mm -hmm. male dominated Mm -hmm. space the craft space which is you know the Victorian lady doing needlepoint Mm -hmm. and it's just Mm -hmm. not kind of thought of in the same way and we talk about the fact that the one of the problems with market research in those spaces sometimes is everyone's undercharging yeah and yeah, so absolutely. there has to be a point at which, and you sort of said this, where we just go, someone has to start doing it differently. Someone, yeah. If I'm not going to back it, if I'm not going to value it, I can't keep it waiting for everyone else to value it because yeah. everyone's looking around. Yeah, you're right. Everyone's charging 30 quid for a cushion, but they should be charging 90 to 100. I love that. Yeah, forefront, you know, who's doing it differently because I want to see a different world. Yeah. So we make the road by walking, right? Yes. We don't have a map set out for us because other people design the map and I don't want that map. I don't like it. Don't think it works for most people. Yeah. I have to walk a different path, which means I have to (laughs) put my money where my mouth is. Yeah. And that can be disconcerting, but I'm saying I want to honor this work. I want to value this work. So it comes at a cost. And again, I do think you can do that and still be reasonable and not be inflated. You know, it's about reason, but it's also about the reality of it. 
absolutely <laughs> even recently moved I'm guessing post-pandemic all your work mm. online mm. and I am so happy about mm. that I've been <laughs> ranting about this for years just being like why aren't more therapists <laughs> online so I'm so yeah. excited that you've yeah. done that you've made that move and one of the things that I was really thinking about as I was sort of writing out these questions it's so interesting to me that I know and we've already spoken about this as this real block for people let's talk specifically about counsellors in terms of like wanting to be accessible with their pricing Mm -hmm. and yet until this year and it'll be interesting to see how it plays out there was real resistance to going online which for some will make you more accessible to some I know that not everyone's got internet and stuff to offering that online there was this real like well no I can't do that but also my pricing needs to be accessible yeah it's like this cognitive dissonance of like well which accessibility are you choosing Mm -hmm. there have you found it's changed your practice doing it online? Has it made a difference in any well, way? Well, I've offered online for about three years, but I was slower to the game than people were telling me to be. You know, mm. I had people saying, go online, please. Mm. Let me go online. Yeah. And that was my own concern about tech, actually, and being able to navigate tech. Because I always knew you could get the relationship online. I did always yeah. know that. But it was really about my own competency about tech. And I'm really upfront with my clients that, you know, I... I'm sometimes a bit limited about tech, but I'm trying and I'm learning. Yeah. Um, so I was online, but only quite quietly. I don't think it was even on my website. Mm. And now I'm wholly online. And I did think about going back into person to person, but it's staying online. Yeah. It's accessible. It's convenient for clients, particularly because my work is so niched. You know, mm. I'm a counsellor who incorporates health at every size and intuitive eating from a trauma-informed perspective yeah. and a feminist worldview. <laughs> yes. <laughs> know who I am. <laughs> yeah. With a fat body. Yeah. So there aren't many people who are offering exactly what, there's no one who's offering it. Mm. Not exactly. So therefore, to find the right person, and there's just been such a shift, such a shift in the inquiries I've had over the last year have been from everywhere. People have just realised when they've had no other option but to go online, they're not thinking, oh, I'll go online for the most local person. Mm. They're saying, I'll go online for the right person. Yeah. And that yeah. might happen to be someone in a different country mm. now. You know? Yeah, yeah. The one thing I do miss for my clients and a little bit for myself is the commute because I mm. thought that the commute was a really good opportunity for clients to get up into their, what do I want from the work today? Yeah. And then also to process it down so that they can kind of re-enter their world. Absolutely. Um, I agree with that. I used to go for a mooch around the town I live in straight after my sessions. And I'd go to all the, like, look at charity shops for books, basically. Yeah. It was a real decompressing. I would be processing. And I I miss that. I now have my therapy in bed and stay in bed for a little bit afterwards. And that's Mm kind of helped because I was doing it in in here in my office. I'm on the phone. We're not online. I was like seeing things come in for work because mine is, is, is on the phone. I miss the being seen aspect. I'd rather it was on Zoom. I should probably just yeah. tell my counsel that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She'd probably be like, fine. Yeah, I think sometimes you can avoid an emotion more easily if you're not being looked at. Yes. That's something yeah. for me anyway. Yeah. I'm much more likely to be like, I'm not going to cry. I'm going to look over here and I can sort of, whereas if someone's looking at me, I'm like, oh God, yes, here it comes. Absolutely. <laughs> no, I think that there is real merit in Zoom, you know, or being online, being seen. I think that's that can be important and I do offer telephone sessions for people that want them but most Mm. people choose 
Zoom. Yeah. Most people, you know, if they're coming into this work, they do tend to want to be Zoom. Yeah. I mean, my, my nan, who's in her mid-80s, knows what Zoom is now. It's yeah. hilarious to me, like, how it went from being a very specific tool for my work to, like, everybody knowing what it was. Mm-hmm. It's a very strange thing when you were using it before, and now yes. everyone's like, hop on Zoom. And I'm like, oh. I thought that was mine. But you're doing that now, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was just going to say one more thing about that kind of soft edge around counselling, around your therapy, because I'm very into this soft edge around things at the moment. Counselling and taking a risk, right? Yeah. And having yeah. therapy is being prepared to be vulnerable, which is a risk. And so that's why it's so important that it's a brave space, that you're working towards doing things safely. And that's why if you're going to put yourself in a risk position, you've got to be honest about a, that it is one, because I think people yes. think that it's not, and it is. Mm. And I think B, you need to put a soft edge around that and show up and then rest up, which is exactly what you're doing by having your therapy in bed. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> delightful. I do struggle to get out of bed afterwards, though. So warm now, I'm just going to yeah. stay here. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And I think that also feeds back into what you said about showing your face, being upfront about who you are, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of your values, because that takes away some of that risk. Yeah, like, like exactly. the fact that someone knows that going to you, it's a fat, inclusive, accepting, positive yeah. place. Yeah. More than that is my face and my body. Yeah. Because I realized actually that most of my photos, not intentionally, I've been, you know, healing, healed for a long time. But when I had those photos taken four years ago, they are mostly from mm-hmm. chest up. Yeah. So next week I've got new photos being done with, I'm like, put the full body in. The, you the get the thing full in. body there. Have yeah. you, um, I presume you follow Kelly Deals, do you? I, do. I love so her. So she's <laughs> done a really brilliant thing. She's posed in places where she was like, this isn't a flattering pose, like flattering, mm-hmm. I'm inverting mm-hmm. commas, but mm-hmm. this is not flattering. And it's so good. I love the way she's done mm-hmm. that. I think that's a really amazing thing to be seeing, particularly in the, we see that in specifically fat positive or body positive spaces. But mm-hmm. to see that in a professional, I can't, I'm like bunny using all the way. A professional setting mm-hmm. is so important, I think. It's so it important. It is extremely difficult to find photos of fat people in professional settings. Yeah. And to see fat people as professional. Mm-hmm. I'm obsessed with this hashtag on Instagram at the moment, which is fat babes in luxury. <gasps> obsessed. Oh I my tell God. All my clients. I need to write that this. down. I'm like scrambling <laughs> for a pen. <laughs> <laughs> Because, you know, when people are like, oh, tell me about your resources. And everyone's like, oh, read The Body Heals the Score by Bessel van der Poel. Da, da, da. No, follow Fat Babes in Luxury and see your fat body represented in glamour and luxury, wearing things and holding bags. And, you know, you want to see that. Yeah. That's real healing in that. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. And bags don't come in sizes. <laughs> so Well, exactly. That's why all the fat people have really great accessories. Bags and shoes happening. Yeah. Although, actually, this is a real tangent, but bags do come in sizes because I wanted a crossbody bag. Yes. And I tried to get a crossbody bag and it was like under my arm. And I that is so true. And they didn't do longer straps. You can. And that was so- a bit of a... I'm with you on that because I'm a size 16 but these boobs are not size 16 boobs <laughs> <laughs> and I've got this Kate Spade bag which I love but I can't wear it across my body it's like yeah. weird but you can I found some extenders okay. Amazon. hang on All so right. it has to be the right kind of bag one with a clippy thing right but I'm going to extend it they had really long extenders and shorter extenders as well 
I'm gonna look That's into it. that and I can instantly feel my resistance to it as well because why should I, I buy an expensive bag and have to extend it myself totally. with a jockey from eBay? Just totally. One, I'm gonna have to do it because I have to live in this world. <laughs> exactly. And also like obviously I don't have to have that bag. No. <laughs> this is why we need women earning money and in positions of power, fat yeah. people earning money in positions yeah. of power, queer, trans. Oh, oh, I'm so excited about it. One of my favorite things, right, is that businesses who have a diverse leadership board perform better on the stock market. So I'm obsessed with it. And I play this game. Do you play, um, is it called Best Breakers? No. Is that what it's called, the app, where you pretend to have shares and you can invest in things? So much fun, Best Breakers. Someone was like, well, what do you invest in? I was like, I only invest in businesses with diverse leadership boards. <laughs> you like research and so do you get to see what happens like yeah, you as do. if you, get you didn't get money go up and you get to see your money go down so I invest in like Starbucks because they have really diverse leadership yeah. board I invest in MSG because I'm obsessed with East Asian food and Southeast Asian food and so I want to see like diverse yeah. leadership boards and so I want diverse people making decisions and yeah. holding the money mm-hmm. because then we're all going to benefit because yeah. we're going to have more diverse products, more diverse totally. services, more diverse offerings, bags with longer straps. Yeah, bags with longer straps. <laughs> Wider shoes. And imagine, shoes. imagine boots that did up over calves that aren't tiny. I mean, it's all these really things. glorious world that we're walking towards. <laughs> and it's so funny. I fell down an internet hole, which is actually one of my favorite pastimes generally. Don't ask me how it happened. I actually don't know. So I was I'm watching this random video with Mila Kunis, who's married to Ashton mm-hmm. Kutcher. Mm-hmm. And she was talking about how she advised him not to invest in Bitcoin and Uber because she was like, they sound ridiculous. Don't do that. So it was an interview with Stephen Colbert. And Stephen Colbert went, hang on a minute. Mm-hmm. So you invested in Bitcoin in 2013. He was like, I can do the maths on that. And she went, yeah, yeah. So I Googled Ashton Kutcher net worth (laughs) straight afterwards, obviously, obvious next step. And basically his net worth, and I don't think those things are very accurate, but according to the internet, it's like 200 million. And he's made most of his money investing in things. Mm -hmm. But I found this quote and it was so interesting. It was like, Ashton Kutcher and his business investment business that he started, they started off with just 30 million and they turned it into <laughs> 200 million. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> but it's, Incredible. you know, playing that best brokers app is, you know, a good idea because I think they give you like $20,000, a mm. fake $20,000 to play with. And you see it go up by about seven grand or something. You're like, okay, cool. I still had to have $20,000 right. to begin with to make right. that seven grand. Yeah. And yes, I can do my research, invest in Starbucks. Yeah. And Hewlett Packard is another one that I remember mm. had the diverse leadership board. But fundamentally, I need to have the money to be able to do that. I'm really, same as you, really passionate about it. And I think it's a long game. It's why I talk a lot about this whole, like, do good making money. Like, the more of those people making money, paying their staff well, like, we're creating a very different system for years to come. For our great-great-grandkids, mm-hmm. possibly even. Mm-hmm. Nothing against Ashton Kutcher, but, like, there's not many women queer people you know it's not revolutionary is it that ashton kutcher's got cash right exactly that a handsome white man has got money exactly it's a surprise to me there are so many other things that could have done amazingly that could have tripled his money but he doesn't hasn't put it there because he doesn't see those things because he doesn't have that view absolutely so you need people with a certain view with a different view a marginalized view seeing things from the outside is so powerful this is where marginalized people really have like an insight that we need because they see things from the outside and it gives yeah. them a different perspective and kind of vantage point almost, yeah. you know, like a higher point. Yeah. They can look in and onto. Mm. 
a system yeah. and see it much more clearly than when you're operating within it. I think Fenty Beauty is a really good example of that. Rihanna's mm-hmm. range where they did this hugely amazing, and I'm a skincare makeup like nerd, Lovely. but they did this huge range of, of shades and forced the rest of the industry to do it more. Whereas mm-hmm. before that, people just weren't doing it. And she's made loads of money on it because mm-hmm. she saw the gap and the story is always, and the first female millionaire in the States was a black woman because she saw a need for hair care for black people and why have I forgotten her name it's terrible CJ Walker CJ Walker thank you oh my god what's happening if anyone's not seen it there's a program on Netflix called Mm. self-made which is Mm. actually quite fictional there's a biography of her as well but yeah so it's seeing those things it's a superpower to be able to see into things that are being ignored it's an amazing thing it is but whenever I hear that I think of that you know that Lucille Bluth meme where she's like good on her you know (laughs) drinking a martini whenever I hear a success story like that I'm just drinking a martini thinking get on in your hut in a caftan with water around you (laughs) amazing so for us to wrap up I'm gonna ask you some quick fire questions I always talk about the end the first one is finish this sentence money is money is a privilege and Mm. a power in a capitalist culture Mm mm-hmm it's also a possibility and a potential. Yes. Oh, nice three Ps as well. Like that. The PPs, Good work. Yeah. And I feel like you're going to give me a problematic answer on this because I'm probably going to want to buy whatever you say. But what's <laughs> your favourite book you've read recently? Fiction or not? Or recipe book? I know you're into... Oh, I'm very into the recipe books. I just bought McCann, which is a Singaporean recipe book, which I'm really excited about. M-A-K-A-N. And the book that I read last week, I had took a week off last week and I read The Five by Hayley Rubenhold. <gasps> which is oh yes. I have seen so that. meaningful I can't tell you it's about the victims of Jack the Ripper mm. it's about their lives and they don't give him any airtime you know she doesn't write about him at all it's not voyeuristic it doesn't write about their murders mm. it's not glorifying the violence against women which I think always happens with Jack yeah it's about five women living in really vulnerable positions I would make anyone read it who doesn't think we should have a robust and generous welfare system Mm. and public health care system because these were vulnerable women insecurely housed women workhouses she just paints such an incredible picture of these five women and gives them real spirit and character and you feel like you get to know them you can hear I was so moved nice okay and then the impact of people who traditionally haven't made money making money is Mm -hmm. We've kind of a revolution this, we? absolutely yeah. every time people answer you can see my eyes like obviously <laughs> on the podcast you can't but I kind of go it's <gasps> <laughs> like change this one mm-hmm. if you could eat one thing for the rest of your life mm-hmm. what would it be pork <laughs> <laughs> I love that just pork pork my question that I <laughs> my question that I ask myself all the time is what seven ingredients would I take to a desert island right and pork is number one I'd have pork like a pork chop like a pork chop please and then there's this spicy dipping sauce this thai spicy dipping sauce called jiao which Mm. is like spicy herbal sour hot hot and just like lime juice palm sugar fish sauce coriander dried chili anyway it's amazing i already know with (laughs) with some rice as well yeah yeah sticky rice or like any kind of rice certainly with grilled meat and a dipping sauce i think a sticky rice would be i love a sticky chef's kiss yes lovely and then best bit of money or business advice you've ever received i read someone a couple of years ago say getting obsessed with your personal finances for one year will change the rest of your life 
and that. I thought I can do that I love I like that. that I loved it and I say it to people it stayed with me and it will stay mm. with me forever it just takes one year of obsession you yeah. know like knowing where every penny is and everything but it will change your life I'm going to do some episodes with some people about this soon and maybe I'll do a solo episode as well on it people have probably heard me say this so many times but I was terrified of financial administration even when I was a money coach actually one of the reasons I held off being a money coach and actually becoming a money coach is what led me because I was like I've got to sort this if I'm going to talk about it with people I don't sell the organization side of it but I was terrified of it and actually now I love it yeah yeah I love a spreadsheet I love knowing where it all is that advice came from a black woman in a bigger body where are we going to learn how to take care of the pounds and the pennies and the dollars yes. and cents? because where historically has that knowledge had to yeah it's changed everything that's amazing I love that as well because one of the messages that is put across by the Dave Ramsey's of the world is this mm-hmm. idea that you know people don't have money because they're in poverty because they're not managing their money well enough those people mm-hmm. are the best yeah, <laughs> they are absolutely. the best at managing gonna money. tell us more again it's not a surprise when a white man holds some money Dave I saw <laughs> Dave. I saw the a, Dave. I saw the A asterisk in his name yeah. on an Instagram quote the other day. I was like, oh, this is hilarious. But yeah. yeah, it's not a surprise to me if you're going to shame people for not having no. money. Like you have to understand, it's not just about mindset. It is about positionality and about access to resources yeah. and about historically people hoarding resources and people not having enough and taking resources absolutely yeah I used to work with young people in London my work was right next to more London where the mayor's office is Mm -hmm. and where Pricewater has Coopers and all of that stuff I was walking with I can't remember his name now there were so many of these like but I loved him he was such a lovely young man Mm -hmm. and we were walking through more London and he said Ray how much do they earn in in like those buildings and I and I was like well you know anything from this like so much and he was like oh they make more than drug dealers some of them mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. and he was like oh and I, I remember just being like oh like mm-hmm. not everybody knows mm-hmm. not everybody's got a f- friend whose dad's or whatever mm-hmm. and it was so interesting to me and he was like I'm gonna do that you know I'm good at maths I'm gonna go and do that and it was such yeah. a beautiful it was just a, we were just chatting it wasn't like you know an organized let me like expose you to this it was no. just a chat where do you see it can you see it can exactly you see it from where you are from your yeah. positionality yeah. can you see what you could be from where you are yeah and that's why representation is so important yeah absolutely but, you know I've spoken about memes before today but I will just say you know that meme of like the hooded Kermit the frog like Kermit wearing a hood and he whispers Profits, profits are the unpaid wages of the labor force. Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's a meme, but it's true. Like, where is all our money going? And if it's going up and then being held there in a big net and hoarded, yeah. You can't tell me that there's not something that's going to be game changing about the people who have traditionally been at the bottom and the sides. Yeah. Taking some of that money back. Yes. Yeah, there's a lot of chat around that. There's a lot of suspicion around people. We were talking about this in my Facebook group around earning six figures and stuff. And there was a lot of people mm. just like, like I've checked HMRC, they've made this much profit. And I was like, you can't tell that much from that because if you're paying your staff well, like yes, that it doesn't mean they're not making money. It yeah. means they don't have money left over. <laughs> like, yes. That's really what that is. Anyway, yeah. 
I could talk to you all day, but thank you so much for coming on and for chatting with me about this wide breadth of stuff. We've from certainly covered rice, the, board. the handbags. Yes. <laughs> like all thank sorts of you. things. Oh, it's been but so yeah. much fun. Thank you so much. Where can people find you and what you do? They can find me at concentriccounseling.com, which is my website for my practice. They can find me online on Instagram at Concentric Counseling and a modern practice for counsellors, therapists, helping and healing professionals, coaches is my community uh, Facebook group. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Money Making Women. If you've been enjoying the podcast, I'd be so grateful if you'd share about it on Instagram or if you could kindly leave a review. Both of those things are really amazing ways to support what we're talking about here. And you can, of course, find me on Instagram. I'm Ray underscore Dodd. And also in my free Facebook group, which is called Money Making Women. I'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.